Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. The Magic Five, custom fitted goggles that are tailor-made for your exact face. You shouldn't feel like you're wearing any goggles. Use code BRETTHAWK20 at checkout to receive 20% off. Swim Angelfish. Receive the tools and skills needed to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions with Swim Angelfish. Go to swimangelfish.com. Superior Swim Timing. Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop. SST is fully compatible with high-tech, Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. SuperiorSwimTiming.com Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com Okay, Marco Mavella, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm very honored to be here among all well, these great coaches like Eddie Reese. I listened to him yesterday. Awesome podcast. You really was good. made good question. It was like listening to a book about yeah. that thing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Like I've said many times, I had a lot of regrets when Eddie retired. I, I felt like I really missed an opportunity to record some history and 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 that's kind of been part of this podcast is is recording great coaches like you and then sharing it with the world and then knowing that that's going to be there forever. You know, people can come back to this and learn from it for, forever. So it's it's a great experience. Where are you coming from today? Uh, I'm coming from Jyväskylä, Finland, from Ausauna, actually. I live by the lake like 10 kilometers from the pool or center of the city. And this is my office. So basically from home. Oh, beautiful. You you turned the sauna into an office? Uh, yeah, it's back there, and I will have that on later, and we'll have a swim by the lake, and, and it's going to be quite good evening for us. I love that. I love the fact that you guys do kind of like the, the, the hot and colds. You know, it's just part of the culture, right? Yeah, it's getting below zero during the nights now and like 10 degrees in Celsius during the day, so it's, it's kind of getting into a fin winter, but... At this stage, it's good because the lake is not frozen yet, and we can still swim here. Wow! How how? What's the temperature in the lake? I think it's nine degrees at the moment Celsius. Nine degrees. Wow. Yeah. How long yeah, do you spend we, in there? Uh, I usually spend like at least one minute, and I I swim throughout the winter too. So I try to keep it in a minute, one minute. Yeah. So I keep the lake open for me. I think that's smart. That's smart. Well, listen, uh, for me, it's easy to get caught up in, in a bubble of um, talking to U.S. coaches or Australian coaches. It's really easy for me to connect with them. But there's obviously uh, incredible coaches all around the world. And you're in Finland. You're doing um, amazing things. You, you know, you're a five-time Olympic coach. Uh, what I've read about you, you've done multiple studies in um, 
many different scientific background fields. So I kind of want to talk about those today. I want to talk about your background a little bit, just get to know you and then, um, you know, what you could share in, in your in your learnings and your and your teachings um, for, for people around the world. Uh, so I, I appreciate you doing this. Um, let's just start off by giving us a little bit of background on yourself. Hmm. Uh, well, I've been coaching from the 80s. I started like 84 and, and uh, been coaching for 35, 36 years now. And mainly here in Uvascula, I have a background in science and biomechanics. I did my master's here at the sport faculty in, in Uvascula and studied since uh, sport psychology and, and philosophy. And I, I do coaching. I've been in five Olympics with the swimmers, but I also do coaching and mental uh, coaching in ice hockey and track and field and gymnastics, basically in all around everywhere when coaching, where coaching is involved. Wow. Wow. Is, is it unusual for um, someone to, you know, do a master's in biomechanics and then move into the other side of the field in terms of the psychology? And, um, and it, it seems that you have a really good balance. Most people would get stuck in one area of science. Yeah, well, I don't think it, it's uh, uh, usual, but for me it was, I was in uh, Athens 2004 and I was kind of, I don't know, uh, perhaps in a crossroads of, of thinking that visuality and or biomechanics couldn't solve the problem, how we can swim or perform better. I think that uh, the Finnish athletes or swimmers uh, are lacking something that uh, you guys in you guys in Australia or in in states have, and I wanted to explore something else because I knew that we can make better sets and we can make better better technique, but still we can't beat you guys at the pool. Well, we haven't done that many times uh, even since, but but still that kind of took me into the other direction on my studies or where my interest went. Oh, wow. I've actually uh, swam in Finland myself as, uh, okay. as, as an athlete. Uh, many years ago, they used to have kind of like a, a World Cup circuit, right? I think, mm. uh, yeah. I think it was yeah, in Espo, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I have vivid memories of actually flying into Finland and it, it just being snow everywhere and then landing the plane and then getting off the plane and it was something like minus 30 degrees does that make sense it was it was yeah yeah freezing cold and yeah. i remember you had to run from the bus to the hotel because it was so cold you couldn't spend much time outside i mean it's yeah. it's just really incredible conditions mm. yes that's true and and at those times where the world cups were it was uh the middle of january or something like that it, it was very cold and also you have to uh, dive into Finland through a big cloud. Mm -hmm. So all, everything is gray and very gold at that that stage and very dark. So it's not a good experience. And I believe the the swimmer uh, in, in Finland at the time was uh, Jani Sivnen. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And Antti Kasvio, those were the big names. Yeah, Jani. I remember Jani just so talented. So in, in terms of um, talent development, you know, some, someone like Yanni coming through and, and, you know, what you've got now uh, with some of your athletes, uh, is it difficult to get the talent into the swimming and is, is it difficult to keep them in there? I mean, you have other sports that are, that are probably big in Finland, like you said, the ice hockey and others. Is it, is it difficult to keep the talent in swimming? 
Yes, and uh, we are especially hurting with the boys because most of the boys are going to ice hockey or football or floorball. They have like, I think they have like, in, well, well, we are we are small small country, only like five million people. They have like hundred thousand players, uh, and like in swimming, we have only five to seven thousand swimmers all together in Finland. So it's a very very tough competitions for us and for me for example when when i listened to eddie reese telling how he recruited swimmers it's totally different we can't choose if a swimmer can't make a dolphin kick whether we not take him or not we have mm. to take almost everyone because we have a very uh, low or slow turnover rate like i have one or two swimmers per year new swimmers in, on my team and and the careers last long like i've been with aripekka liukkonen for 16 years so it's a totally different kind of kind of uh kind of a world we have to keep what we have and we have to take good care of them right um it's still it's still a little bit crackly is it possible to take the earphones out completely yeah yeah turn, yes, turn them yeah. off yeah let me see if i i can do it yes let me see if I do it this way, let's see what happens. Oh, yeah. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, it's much better. It was just crackling okay. like okay. crazy. So okay. I, I wanted to fix that for you. Okay. Yeah, no um, worries. So in, in terms of the, the talent pool, the depth, how many, how many swimmers do you have in Finland? How many pools do you have? How many opportunities do these athletes have to, to go to a quality program? Mm. We have a 50 meters pool. I think in most of the big cities, we have like 15, perhaps 15 pools, 50 meters pool 15. in indoor pools. And then we have a 25 meters pool in almost every city. And big programs we have, I think, like in five or six cities. And mainly those are the options you have. And some of our good athletes, like Jani Sevinen, came from very small, small pool. And usually it's kind of father and, and son or daughter kind of relationship. So the right. parent raises or coaches the kids uh, to the Olympic level. Right. What about the attrition rate? Where where do you lose the athletes? Is it difficult from um, to keep them in high school? Is it difficult from high school to college or or college to professionals? Like where is the drop off rate? You think? I think that uh, the drop off comes in uh, before high school and also in the high school because the academic uh, demand is so huge in Finland and it's not uh, if you're an athlete that's not a kind of a good profession or road to go it's getting better but still you don't get that much that much uh, funding and also well training in swimming is is pretty hard as we know and we don't have that kind of a team support like you have in in states or that kind of an uh, overall cultural thing that you have in australia so so we are lacking a lot of those things that you have good in in uh, in a bigger nations right but there's also got to be some encouraging signs as well. You've got to feel like you can compete, you know, especially maybe in the region that you're in, you know, like you're, you're competing with Sweden, Norway, you know, the, 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 the different countries around you. But then there's also the global competition, you know, maybe the European competition and 
and then you know you're going to Olympics. So at some point, you've got to feel like okay, we've got enough here to do really great things. So what are the things that are encouraging for you? Well, um, for example, we have been around. I've been many times in Australia. We were there before Sydney Olympics a couple of times, and I've been uh, many times since back there. Like I think almost a year. Mm. spending in different programs seeing what other other coaches are doing and and bringing my my swimmers also with me and those has been good experiences to see that the things aren't that different of course the australians swim so hard and those programs are very tough and our swimmers can hardly um, uh, survive from the programs but still we are able to sort of like hang around there so there's not much different expect except uh, of course the culture and hard working environment that can be done in australia and i've been also in sweden uh, i've visited in in um, dave sailor's program also uh, back in the days and so so we are kind of very we know what's happening around the, around the world so that gives gives us also comfort, and also our swimmers are uh, like in top ten or fifteen in their sport or in their discipline. So it's all okay too. So we can, in good days, we can compete with the best, and bad days, we can't. But still, we are uh, very near. So that gives us some some sort of an um, I don't know attitude or grit to pursue forward. You said you, you've got a master's degree in, in biomechanics, and I think it's very important technically to get things right for athletes and be teaching the right techniques. But ultimately, I, I'm a big believer in the psychology. and I know you've done a lot of studies. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I read somewhere where you talked about freeing yourself from the shackles of your mind. Mm -hmm. what, did you, what did you mean when uh, you talk about that? Mm -hmm. Well, I've spoken many times with that. I think that the, we have... Um, we have different kind of strategies to go forward with the athletes. Like I think that in states, if I if I look from from my perspective, the good thing uh, in college system is that uh, it's so very demanding. But you are with the pack, or you have your own own team with you, mm. and it's so such a good team environment that you you will go far with your team. And and if you are have uh, if you have the talent. Uh, you will be competing at the Olympic level. You will mm -hmm. end up there. So that's kind of in 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 states. You are supported by the by the overall culture and the good academic system uh, and uh, scholarship and and well, you know those things that are making American swimming great. And then in Australia, there's there's the background of of the culture and also those great names. So it, it really has a good history. And you can you can dwell from that, and you can really really get you 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 know that you can be an Olympian. You you know that you can succeed if you just try. You have the talent. The pro programs are that tough. But in in for example in Finland in small countries, uh, you get that that kind of a um, negative self talk easier because you don't easily have that kind of team support or that kind of cultural background we have that culture in ice hockey for example and you have to deal with that kind of an sort of like self-doubt and if you can get by that uh, you can pretty much uh, do what kind of results are possible yeah but i i find um there's also the case of 
we all think at times the grass is greener, you know, on the other side, you know, and um, what I'm experiencing in America and, and a lot of other coaches are experiencing right now is this um, almost uh, situation where things are too good. Things are too comfortable. It's right. almost like here it is. All you have to do is turn up and work hard. And, um, and, and there are so many uh, distractions now to take you away from, because working hard is uncomfortable you know yeah. it's 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 uncomfortable and and no one if if you create an environment where you're comfortable and everybody's happy nobody yeah. really wants to dive into the uncomfortable from being in a comfortable position so a lot of what we're experiencing in america now is this is this comfort and trying to get athletes to go beyond and and work hard even with everything at their at their footsteps you know so it's like um are you experiencing anything like that in finland or is it still the the thinking that they have more than us mm. uh, i think it's the same in finland too that the the kids are um, they, they don't work that hard and they are easier easier to convince to go to the team sport and 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 not to make the hard training we want them to do and um they are like eddie said that they are also much much faster they are smarter they are out thinking as, as coaches much younger and so we have to evolve our thinking and our programs to keep them inside inside the pool and um, in finland those kids who choose to swim they are very self-motivated and they will do the programs and it's more like lack of imagination that can you imagine that you can be at the top of the world or not so if you are lowering your power yourself you can't be at the top but the motivation is there and i, and I, I think that it's it's made so hard to feel in, in finland to swim uh, as a professional athlete that those who can do it they are pretty tough and pretty self-disciplined people they don't get distractions or spend uh time in in negative uh things or or hobbies or i don't right. know partying or, or etc right uh i'm a 50 freestyler i coach some some sprinters um yeah. you have right now uh one of the one of the europe's best um uh, 50 freestylers sprinters Uh, I'm gonna mess up the pronunciation. So you you tell me you talk tell me who it is and, and talk to me about him. Yeah, I think you are referring to Ari Pekaliukkonen. Yeah, exactly. Type, yeah, swimmer. Yeah, and he actually was at the first semifinals uh, swimming uh, with Puske when when he did uh, 21-1, Was it back mm. in 2013? Oh wow! Or, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. 11, yeah, 11, or something like that. At that time, I think it was uh, 21-3. Yeah, yeah, and it was an awesome swim. I I've watched it many times, and it's 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 a pity that it's not in HD level uh, mm. in YouTube. But it was an awesome sprint. I think it's the it's the most beautiful swim I've seen. I agree. It's one of the, one of my favorite swims. I watch it over and over again, and and yeah. I, I do. To, I wish it was in HD too. I can't imagine why it's not. It's 2011. But um, yeah, it's an incredible swim. But but he was in that semifinal as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, excellent. So yeah. he so he's been around a little bit. Talk to me about his development and and where he's at now. Well, Ari Pekka is uh, actually two big kicker. So he's he's I think he's the only one at that level doing two two big kick, and that's because 
of his length. He's two meters or eight, uh, so he's very tall and doesn't have much, much of muscle muscles in, in his legs. So he's very float, floating. He's very, very high in the water mm-hmm. and, and doesn't weigh much. So I think for me, he, he is like a bird. He, his body anthropometrics is like a bird. He is very high naturally and, and can't kick. And I remember when we went to Australia for the first time at the, um, 2009 with Ari Pekka, we were training in Sydney at home Bush Bay with the, with Tony Shaw's distance program. And, and Ari Pekka was with us too. And obviously he couldn't do the miles. So most of the trainings for him was just, uh, uh lying on a on a rope and and getting hurt by only a couple of hundreds of threshold training and <laughs> after the after the camp uh, tony wanted to give uh feedback for the athletes all the athletes gathered gathered around him and he started with the girls and saying for example that sample that hannah excellent word you word work you really picked up the, the speed and paces and so forth and then yari you did this and this great and so forth until he came to Aripekka and he paused and said that, hmm, Aripekka, at least you got a great tan. So it was <laughs> great fun, great fun. And he was the only one who went going to the 2012 Olympics to London after after that uh, that uh, training camp. So Typical so, sprinter, typical yeah, sprinter. Yeah, typical <laughs> sprinter. And... and yeah, when when he came to me, he was already two meters tall, and he was very problematic with the low back pains and also with the mm. shoulders. So I had to adjust the technique. We we came up this idea uh, about the spider technique, meaning that very very narrow stroke, mm. never reaching out far, and we had to we had to make his posture and uh, shoulders shoulder muscles uh, uh, to tolerate. Uh, the longer strokes and it took like uh, perhaps five years to get the body in the shape that we could really use better of uh, of his length so wow yeah now is he the one that does the the crazy start where he hits and comes straight up yeah that's the only option for him also australian story because australians were back at the days there it's it's getting better i think well i'm not (laughs) I'm not to judge Australians with the outstanding results, but back in the days, 2009, um, uh, we have biomechanical analysis on on Aripekka's training or, or, or starts uh, mm-hmm. in Ombush Bay, mm-hmm. and the biomechanist said that Aripekka, you should do more more dolphin kicks. Mm-hmm. You should do nine dolphin kicks or something like that. And Aripekka did one at the at the beginning. No, no, do do at least six, and then. Aripekka started to make more dolphin kicks, but uh, end up being slower, like three seconds slower in, in the first 25 meters. But the biomechanist was that, okay, this is the direction. But I know we've, we, we've timed and tried different kind of strategies for, for him. And the best strategy, because he's so, he so light, he floats in, in top of the water mm-hmm. very naturally. He doesn't, if he, if he goes to the water, he's immediately popping up up uh, from the from the water mm-hmm. so I I just keep I just can't keep him under the water so it's a natural way of just making a slide to the surface and start swimming look I think it's a great example of I mean we all get caught up in uh, 
everybody has to do it the way Caleb Dressel's doing it. You know, yeah. like Caleb's the fastest in the world, so we've got to figure out how he's doing it, and let's all just do it that way. And and Caleb's unique. You know, he he's doing his he's, he's got very a specific skill set for himself. But then but then here we are looking at something completely different on the other side based on another athlete's attributes. And and his attribute is floating on the water. So it's like let's get him in and get him up as quickly as we can. And listen, it to me it's not only effective in the water, but it's also effective psychologically uh, for the other athletes because you know that this two meter tall Finnish kid is going to pop up on the water and get going really, really fast. So psychologically, his competitors are thinking, yeah, no, this, this kid next to me is going to be gone. You know, so you're, you're already thinking about him too. So there's, there's different components to it. And I, and I love how you've used his strengths uh, to his advantage. Yeah. And also there's that side that, uh, all these guys, Dressos and Ben Rouch and, and those great kickers or underwater uh, dolphin kickers, uh, they are below the water and Aripekka can see them. Mm. And it's also mind game for him that, okay, are they get, getting too fast in head of me or are, am I with them? Because if, if Aripekka is with them when they are gliding, he knows that he can beat them when they start swimming. But if the glider is too far uh, in front, it's not so easy to catch. Or well, well, it's the fifty you can't catch. Catch, but but that's also something that you can't lose your concentration when you see the other guys going mm. uh, deep in both sides of you. Yeah, look, I think it's a it's a great strategy all round for many different reasons. Um, I co- I coach Bruno Fratus, and Bruno doesn't have the yeah. best start in the world, and we're 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 playing with dolphin kicks no dolphin kicks you know all sorts of different things he's certainly not two meters tall but um but one of the things that bruno does is uh in his sprinting he kind of wiggles his hips a little bit and and i and i don't teach that you know but when i started coaching bruno i saw how effective it was for him in terms of this little wiggle he had in his hips and his ability to get on his catch out in front And, and if i if i changed it he couldn't catch he couldn't pull water that yeah. you know so it's like you have to also adapt to the athlete too right mm, yeah yeah uh, when i look at the athletes i i categorize them in four different kind of body types and they come from asia from china uh, china and japan how they how they see martial arts how they see the bodies and uh, I think that when I looked at there are four times. The first type is the traditional kind of um, windmill kind of a um, uh, stroke, like uh, for example, uh, Busquet had. Yep. So you are very very straight forward, and you are keeping the hand uh, just uh, under your body, and uh, you are rotating from your from your shoulders, but not so much from the hips. So that's the basic style we teach also in longer distances so that we kind of get make the catch and rotate and keep it narrow mm-hmm. but then there's the other type which is like uh from 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 netherlands mm-hmm. uh, who swims more from the sides mm-hmm. it's like the the ball power coach from the thighs to shoulders crossing from here and the and the stroke is powerful outside the body mm-hmm. If you if you watch, for example, her fifty or hundred, you can see that that uh, it it looks kind of a traditional kind of uh, narrow, but it's not. It's more wide here, and and she doesn't do that much of a push at the end or near the hip. And then the third type is uh, like Bruno, perhaps 
who uses more more of the hips. It's uh, I think that uh, Caleb Fressel has that style. Usually they are very good jumpers. Usually they they gluteus are big. They are like well they are like ice hockey players mm-hmm. <laughs> from yeah. lower, lower extreme, and they are going kind of they are kind of not symmetrical in any ways. They can do different kind of. Um, movements around and and that makes them good athletes and perhaps Bruno is like uh, he has that ability to use the hip and then anchor with the hand because I've, I've seen him swim many times I think that he anchors very strongly and yeah. and he can sort of like throw himself over the anchor so perhaps mm-hmm. that's power comes from the hips and mm-hmm. then there's the fourth type who uses the back muscles a lot like uh, like the South African uh, breaststroker winning the Olympics, the Sue Schumacher. Oh, uh-huh, right. Yeah, yo. So who has very? She has a very strong back, so she's using the back muscles. So when mm-hmm. I see the swimmer the first time, I I watch kind of what, how he is moving and what kind of a type he should be in the water, and you can see that how they walk and run and uh, sort of like behave also on dry land that you get clues how they can be in the water. Right, right. I like that. The four different body types. That's interesting and different styles. And and you were right on all those examples. They they make a lot of sense. So I like that a lot. Um, a couple of other things I want to touch on, uh, just reading about you and, and some of your studies and beliefs. Um, you talked about developing a sixth sense. What, what does that mean? Um, you really dig me up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, well, I think it's it's um, it's about that that um, that we have kind of intuitive uh, way of knowing things, like uh, uh, the Eddie Reese uh, podcast. Uh, you spoke about how Eddie doesn't make the programs or the list beforehand. Right. He goes to the pool and it's kind of a calm and peaceful situation and he handles he orchestrates all the things mm-hmm. and I also I also spoke with uh, Dave Salo I, I went to eat uh, at the Europeans a couple of years ago and asked asked him how me he makes the programs and he said that when he comes to the pool he has some drink uh, coca-cola or something like that he comes to the pool and and he sees the the uh, swimmers and he sees the morning and he sees the sun coming up and he hears the water and he just starts to get ideas mm-hmm. and when the swimmers uh, uh, jump into the pool and he picks up the pen and goes to the whiteboard and starts writing immediately those uh, ideas come to your life and then he starts to write the sets so i think the sixth sense is something that we all have with our athletes and it's something if, if we are too analytical and we are doing too much work uh, analyzing and and reasoning why should we do this and that that uh, takes us away from that sixth sense kind of uh, sensing our swimmers like like i have long careers with my swimmers i i've spent 16 years with my first olympian swimmer uh, 16 years with ap ari now uh, 11 years with mimosa uh, funny year and a half so I don't really know her yet uh, but I kind of I kind of when I see them I kind of know what should I do today right 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 and you talk you're talking now the sixth sense in terms of coaching are you 
expecting your athletes to have a sixth sense as well in terms of understanding their own bodies and having awareness of their own bodies? I think that uh, that there is that aspect too. Like like uh, we had this uh, Olympian swimmer back in '96 who quit after the uh, Atlanta Olympics, and I I gave him a ride back home from Helsinki, like like perhaps ten years ago, and I asked asked her why did she, why did she quit, and she said that she lost the relationship with the water. Mm. She didn't feel the water the way she felt before the Olympics. Mm. So she couldn't catch the water and feel the water like before. And that's something that we can't really know uh, what she was saying. I mean, like, I think I have a sense with the water. Obviously, you have a good sense with the water uh, because you swam at that high level. But sometimes I think that we are working too hard with the swimmers and we are uh, working out from their body the feel and the sense of the water and i think that's the some some kind of a um, magic thing with sprinting and and with being a sprinter's coach because we can't do that we can't we can't swim the swimmer out from the from the swimmers right right what about this you also talk about um narrowing the gap between maximized training and overload i mean i've i've been there as um as an athlete myself trying to figure out okay how far can i push my body before it breaks and i've gone i've gone past the breaking point i've also obviously gone there as a coach because you know when you have a group of athletes you don't get them all right and sometimes you're pushing for results you're striving hard you 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 push beyond Mm -hmm. and then and then you have to evaluate later but um yeah talk to me about that maximizing that gap Hmm. yeah well uh I think that in in coaching, there's a saying that uh, we can only start where we are at the, at at now at this posi- at this moment. We can't start from the from from the past. We can't go back to the old days, and we can't especially start from the future. I, I think that, the, for example, the race space uh, school of, of swimming, like USRPT or or Dave Saylor's program, they are kind of trying to uh, come to training from the future kind of perspective. Imagine that how fast are we going to swim in, in, in the next Olympics? Mm-hmm. Uh, so how fast should we train in, in this, this particular uh, training session or this week? And I think the idea is beautiful because then the body works so that it adapts, it adapts to load it gets. And so if I, if I load it with the race-based kind of work, it starts to change the body because the nervous system uh, gives the demand to the muscles and also the cardiovascular system and it starts to evolve but that's that's only one side of the story getting the getting the um, narrowing the gap but there's also this the side that i think that in in swimming and if we look uh, the swimmers or the athletes or, or the humans overall what we are good at better than anybody uh, or anything in the world, including animals, we are good at uh, doing long distances. We can outwalk a horse. Mm. We can. We we don't have any body hair, so we don't have any any heat that much of a heat problem. So we can walk, walk, run, run, run for days without not getting exhausted. Then we can outrun a horse, which means that if we have this side, and then we have this kind of a race-based side, I think that. We can't uh, ignore one from the other. 
we have to sort of like find a balance to both of them. I think that the sprinters need to swim easy because then you get the connection with the water. You can you can let your mind wander and get that kind of an uh, somatic experience of of um, just just swimming easy without no pressure. And then we need also the race pace kind of thing where you when you really hit hard with the with the working loads. But also in there you need to be kind of uh, uh, you need you, you need to make sure that you don't train too hard because not even in a 50 sprints the swimmers are spri- spring, sprinting all out. Which I mean that that like for example if a lion is is um, chasing chasing some antelope or something mm, to eat uh, it doesn't run itself to death because if the lion runs too fast trains too fast or competes in it too fast it means that uh, there will be cheetahs coming around and and attack attacking to lay lion the next moment mm. so i oh. think that's that's something we maximize too much i think we shouldn't go we, we shouldn't overreach our, our athletes Right. I, I agreed with everything you were saying there. You know, the, this long, slow swimming, connecting with the water, with the sprinting, uh, us as being endurance athletes, I, I found that um, I was capable of so much more than I ever thought I was at, you know, 17. You, you think, oh, that I can't do that. And then you realize, well, the limit's here. And then you push the limit and then you go beyond the limit. And then you see people doing extraordinary things to their bodies, you know. So uh, there is always more, but there's also that balance. And and I found that recovery was such an important component of um, improvement, performance, um, and and weekly outcomes. You know, I, I think that uh, a lot of the time I didn't value my own um, ability to control my recovery. You know, like uh, I always put it down to the coach saying, saying to the coach, well, I'm working too hard in the pool. Well, mm-hmm. well, what am I doing outside of the pool? That's in my control. The coach only has me for maybe 20 hours a week. Yeah. You know, the rest of the time is, is my time. And that's where I have control of what I do and how I do it, what I eat, you know, what time I go to bed, how, uh, you know, what I, what I consume in terms of uh, fluid, what type of fluid I'm consuming, you know what I'm saying? So it's like yeah. all those things are in your control. And then once you, once you figure out the balance between, okay, this is how much coach demands and this is how much I need to put on my own recovery, then you become a much more aware athlete as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's um, the most important thing that the athlete can do is to have things on calendar in regular basis. So we have scheduled uh, time slots for training and I have a scheduled uh, time when I go to sleep. I have a schedule when I'm eating or having snacks and I'm with the friends and so forth. So I think the overall habits make us stronger and better athletes and also coaches. Right. Yes, I, I agree. Yeah. Getting on schedules is, is super important. Um, plus, it, it tells you. When is the time to be on? When's the time to be off mentally and physically? You know, you've got to have a mental break as well. But the calendar, you know, just keeps you on that track of like, okay, this yeah. is my time, you know, and, and now I've got to be back on as well. Um, gives you structure for sure. Uh, you've also done some studies, I believe, that that interested me. Uh, have you done studies uh, on creatine and sodium bicarbonate as well? 
Yeah, we we did a, a study back in the I think it was the back in the 90s or around Sydney Olympics. What we did was uh, uh, well, actually my my group was in that study. What, what we did was that it was two times 100 all out uh, sprints long course and and it was a double blind <clears throat> study. So the swimmers didn't know uh, what they got and they they ate all these all these uh nutritions and and uh i think it was like 15 minutes between the between the efforts and we had had a couple of couple of sessions they did that and there were some some uh benefits from getting getting the uh getting the uh creatine and also also uh Sodium bicarb. Oh, yeah, sodium bicarb. Yeah, yeah, and um, but they they went any significant significant uh, kind of uh, results from that. So I think that what we did was it was a, a very well structured study, and they ate a lot of those pills. And I think they were kind of nauseous of of mm-hmm. eating those pills, and they were harming harming more than doing any good for them. So. I've seen, for example, in Tokyo, some of some of the athletes or swimmers, coaches were feeding, feeding the swimmers with the with the, with those supplements. And I don't do that. I think it's it's kind of a too manipulative for for me. I think it's it's not yeah. um, it's not doing the results. I don't know if you've done that, done that. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, you brought up around 2000 and around that area when I was competing 2004 and stuff like that. And I think there was kind of this, this kind of uh, trendy idea of like, oh, let's, let's mess with creatine. Let's mess with sodium bicarb. And, and the sodium bicarb was used to kind of buffer the lactate supposedly, yeah, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, I would swim these hundred free, I would consume these sodium bicarb pills, swim these hundred freeze and just feel sick, you know? And, yeah, yeah. and I didn't, I didn't really know whether it was the training or it was the psychology mm. or it was the, or it was just waking up on the day. And you couldn't really tell if the, if the lactate was being buffered or not, you know, you just kind of felt sick. You know? So it was like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was just too many variables for me to say, Oh, yeah, this is great. You know? And then, um, you know, we're always looking for ways that we can, um, improve and get better but to me this just seemed like what am, what am i doing to myself like oh, this isn't the way I'd, I'd much rather work hard rest hard eat well you know like that they were the three components that were the most important thing and then just have clear thoughts you know have have positive clear thoughts of mine and i think if you take care of those things a lot of swimmers are always looking for the the quick fix you know like yeah. what's what's the easy answer what's something that's going to get me there's no quick fix in swimming really it's just you've you've got to work hard you've got to put in the time you've got to make the sacrifices of going to bed when you need to go to bed you know things like that and and eating the right food at the right times to me those are the most important things we can do yeah yeah and i think that that us coaches what we need to give our athletes is um, uh, some sort of a narrative that that the athlete can uh, believe I think that uh, coaching is it's more like a belief system. Right. I mean, we think the endurance training, we had we had the threshold kind of a, approach. We lived in, in threshold, believed in threshold uh, back in the 1980s. Then there was this um, heart rate mm-hmm. uh, thing that the Australians had. And then mm-hmm. we had uh, we had uh, 
uh, also the Olbrecht's uh, aerobic capacity and anaerobic uh, capacity. Those mm-hmm. well, you know Olbrecht, and then mm-hmm. we have we have uh, Steven Seiler's uh, polarized model at the moment. Then we have uh, Brent Russell's uh, USRPT, and then mm-hmm. we have Dave Sable's race pace, and then we have all kinds of things. And I think what uh, if we look what what's common with them. What, what everything has is that you have to, you have to really believe your system and if you leave, if you, if you believe what you are doing then it's going to be okay it doesn't matter if it's USRPT or threshold but you have to have to uh, believe in it yeah i i agree with that too because i know the way Caleb Dressel trains and i wouldn't train Caleb that way but it's very effective for him uh, sure. in, in the Florida program with Greg Troy, and it works for him. He believes in it. Um, it's something that he has a relationship with his coach, and the, together they're successful in, in the way that they want to do things. And again, it's it's a system, and uh, it's not for everybody, but it's certainly working for them, and uh, it's not the way I coach Bruno, and yet here we are, you know, Bruno and and Caleb basically, once they're on top of the water, swim at very similar speeds, and yet they come from completely different programs. So, I agree with you. It's um, it's a matter of believing in the work that you're doing, and and monitoring the work that you're doing so that it's appropriate for for you and your athlete as well. Yeah. Uh, may I ask? You have had uh, Puske, Cielo, and now you have Bruno. What are the differences? How you approach with these swimmers? Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. I've, I mean, I've, I've had, I've had um, Matt Target. I've had George Gravel at one stage. I've, I've had um, Adam Brown. I mean, I'm, uh, the list could go on in terms of the, 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 the talent and the egos that I've had yeah. <laughs> in my sprint group. Um, man, Marcelo Cherigini as well, another great uh, sprinter. So I've had a lot of good athletes. I've been very fortunate yeah. in that. Um, yeah, you're right. They're all different, uh, but they're all similar. I think a, a lot of sprinters uh, want to feel like they're number one, you know, uh, and that's that's normal. You know, when you're dealing with hundreds of seconds and you're dealing with grown men uh, who are competing against each other, they, they definitely want to have a belief system. They want to have a belief in themselves. They want to feel like they're number one. Um, so for me, at times, it was very difficult to manage having multiple sprinters. Um, I'm, I'm almost, in a way, kind of envious of you. You know, you have this one top kid who you can put all your time and energy and attention on. Uh, that, to me, is almost like a blessing. You know, for me, it was, it was a lot of people said to me, oh, you have these great sprinters. But it was very challenging at the same time to have them all, you know. So uh, if I would take them individually, like Fred, you know, Brusquet. Yeah. I loved working with Fred Brusquet. It was, it was incredible. I loved working with Cesar Ciel. I loved working with Bruno Fratis individually, but collectively trying to get them all to work together was, was the biggest challenge. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, I think, I think ultimately what I'm trying to do and what you're trying to do is sure. make discoveries. We're, we're not trying to swim as fast as somebody's already swum. We're trying to swim faster than anybody's ever done it before. And yeah. it's exciting to me to watch guys like Flo Manadu and Ben Proud and, um, you know, Caleb Dressel pushing the boundaries now of how fast we can swim without the suits. You know, the, the suits to me were, were great, obviously. Um, 
but I also believe that there's the psychology of once you see it, you you feel like you can do it. And that's 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 the case in anything in sport, right? You see somebody do it once, it doesn't matter what they're wearing or whatever, you feel like that's possible. And yeah. the more I watch Caesar's world record in the hundred freestyle, the more I say to myself, why isn't why isn't that possible without the suit? You know, sure. of, co of course it is. And I think that's where the athletes are now. Uh, they have a very strong belief that it, it's absolutely possible um, and, and to go beyond that. And I think that's that's where you and I are right now is talking about how do we get beyond what we've already done, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. And and if we mem remember the Popov era, it was like uh, Tureski also saying that uh, the, the guy who can beat Popov's world records uh, has to be bigger or, or taller than Popov is. Mm -hmm. And then Michael Krim uh, took the world record at, at Sydney mm -hmm. uh, in the in the relay relay start and and it was kind of more back then that we made we were making narratives that something is not possible right but now it's more open they are coming new kids all the time doing great results like the Romanian kid swimming mm -hmm. uh, junior world record and so forth so so everybody can do anywhere in the world great results nowadays yeah i agree yeah a young a young kid like popovici you know mm. swimming 47 low at, at 16 yep. years old i mean no one would ever think that was possible yep. back in uh back when i was swimming 20 years yep. ago you know like a 16 year old swimming 47.3 not possible you would you would have you would have thought that person was absolutely crazy to even suggest that that's possible here we are you know 20 years later from that i mean it's just phenomenal and it's it's to me it really is more to do with the belief system of yeah. you see somebody do it i know it's possible i can do it mm -hmm. so for me there's no doubt in my mind that a man is going to be swimming 50, uh, 45 you know yeah. soon yeah 45 is, is possible soon a woman is going to be swimming maybe even 49 soon I a woman so. a woman could go 49 you know within the next 20 years for sure yeah. so these things are going to happen we just have to we have to know they're happening and how do we get there and we just and and project ourselves to getting mm -hmm. there how how do we do it and i think conversations like this what yeah. are you doing in finland what are you doing in australia what are you doing in france and pulling mm -hmm. them all together sharing ideas um and just knowing that uh you know we're all in together to, to figure out this puzzle mm. you know yeah so mm. yeah yeah but well listen um i appreciate this conversation today thanks for sharing what you're doing um what does the next few years look like for you in the lead up to maybe paris mm. well it's a shorter uh olympiad now because it's only three years i'm obviously negotiating with my swimmers will they continue to to paris and it looks like that Perhaps uh, I will get them to swim to the Paris, and and of course because of Finland had a great result in in Tokyo, taking a medal from from 200 breaststroke, men men bronze. But uh, of course I'm looking also a personal a medal with my, my my swimmers. So that's a goal I'm I'm chasing. So it's it's gonna be kind of a sprint years towards the to Paris. And you, how you are? approaching the party 
Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm continuing to coach Bruno Fratis from a distance. Him and I work at a distance. I send, I write workouts. I send them to him daily. He'll send me feedback. He'll send me videos. We talk constantly. Um, and that's just the way we do it. And, and it works for us at his age, at his, uh, he understands his body completely. Yeah. He has that sixth sense that you talk about. Yeah. He, yeah. he knows when things are on and when things are off. And, and I have that with him now, you know, like, because I know him. So in his communication is so good and I know he's doing the things that he needs to do. And, and we have a system, you know, we, we, sure. Caleb Dressel has his system. We have our system where this works for us. We don't know. We didn't need to go beyond. I mean, we're always trying to explore. And, and like yep. I said, we're, we're tweaking the start maybe to how can we, how can we get it even better? Um, you know, but, uh, it's small details and that's all we're, we're working with. We're, we've got, we've got the meat and potatoes. We've got the, we've got the stuff that works for us. And then we've just got the little tweaks that we're trying to make. So yeah, I'm going to be working with Bruno in, in the lead up to Paris from a distance. Um, and then just continue to do the podcast and share ideas from coaches from around the world. So, um, again, I, I appreciate you doing this and shining a light on you and what you're doing in, in Finland. Um, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that you listen to my podcast. So thank you. Yeah, 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 it's awesome. Yes. And I'm very honored to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And one thing I want to share about Bruno, because I've watched obviously many years of mm -hmm. his, his work and, and, uh, I really enjoy watching him, uh, at the pool deck or in mm -hmm. the competitions, like in the Mare Nostrum, because there aren't so many, I think. In fact, that there aren't anybody except uh, Bruno, who is sort of like always managing help himself, sort of like he don't have a uh, physiotherapist or coach with him or anything mm. like that. It seems like he is always at home when he is at the meet. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it was surprised that he was that good in Tokyo, even though suffering. Uh, throughout the uh, Mar Nostrum or the, or the other or the other competitions, but I really admire how he acts or is and at the competitions. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm I'm glad you said that. I'm sure he'll be very happy you said that too. You know, we we talk about the professionalism of swimming these days and how how swimming is professional. Um, I I laugh at that a little bit because uh, I don't think a lot of swimmers have really figured out what professional means. But Bruno has. If you want yeah. to study somebody who's a professional athlete in swimming, study Bruno Fratis because that man has it down. Um, yeah. He he absolutely takes care of everything. And and the reason why I said sacrifice early, kind of in quotations, because Bruno hates this word sacrifice. To him, okay. nothing is a sacrifice. To him, is it's necessary. Okay. I do I do what is necessary to be successful. I do what is necessary to be the best. And none of that is a sacrifice. So when you see him, you know, eating certain foods and not not at the buffet, people will go to yeah. the buffet and will just take whatever they see. Bruno's very selective in what he eats. Bruno's uh, everything he does is professional. We could go in from start to finish, but um, yeah, if you want to study a, a professional swimmer, he's the man. So, Marco, uh, thanks for recognizing that. Thanks for being here today, and um, yeah. good luck with uh, the next few years. Okay. Okay. Sure. Thank you. All right, take care, bye. Take care, bye. Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, 
and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device, such as the TVs in your facility lobby, ready room, or by athletes, family members across the world. A very simple and easy to use necessity for any team or facility that is live streaming their meets results. You actually see the live meet timer counting up. The splits come across the screen as the swimmers touch the pads. It has all the information you're looking for. Event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. There are so many things you can do with this software. Swim Nerd Live turns any smart TV into a portable digital scoreboard. Hang a TV out in the hallway of the pool or on both sides of the stands. This is perfect when you have swim meets and the kids are in the gym down the hall. They've made it incredibly simple for anyone to watch. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. And here's the cherry on top. Swim Nerd Live also provides advertising space for you to show off your sponsors, promote your upcoming swim camp, or have your alumni just one click away from donating. This software will pay for itself. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more.